Well, today we're going to talk about uh, generosity, and that was one example of an experiment tried to uh, see if they could solicit some generosity in some people. And uh, today, um, it's not going to be very fancy, but I've got, we're just going to talk about three things, and there they are. We're going to set a direction, we're going to take a diversion, and then we're going to make a decision. And uh, the diversion is of my choosing. So um, there you go. So the first thing we need to do is we need to uh, set a direction. And so we probably don't all think about generosity in the same way. And it may be that you've experienced generosity in your life, and maybe you haven't. And I think the ability to think about generosity might depend a bit upon how much generosity have you experienced And as the video has intimated, seeing generosity can bring out generosity in us. But is generosity consistent? Or is it possible that what might be generous for one person is not generous for another? Or is being generous something that's going to happen in your life later? Maybe once you're no longer a student. Or once you have a job that pays decently. Or perhaps when, and you can fill in the blank on when do you think you'd be able to be generous. And what does it mean to be generous? Do you think of yourself as generous? Does being generous mean you are generous with everything in your life? Or if you're generous, can you just be generous with only a certain number of things in your life? And if it's only a certain number of things, are you still generous? My family and I, we lived for a while, uh, for six years in Texas, and one of the things that we liked about Texas was the month of December. I checked this morning where we used to live in Texas to see what the temperature was. There's only two degrees difference. One number has a plus sign in front of it. (laughs) The other one has a minus sign in front of it. Other than that, it's virtually the same. So I was surprised at how close it was. Um, Now, there's a few things about living in the United States that we had to get used to, and one of them was the money, Uh, because it's all the same color, mostly. Um, There is a bit of color on some of the bills. Um, And what I noticed was it was not unusual for me to pull out my wallet and see a lot of bills in there and going, look at that. I have money. And they're all $1 bills. (laughs) It's the opposite in Canada, right? You got some change in your pocket, just jumbling around, pull it all out. (gasps) I have $12 right there. (laughs) Um, So, obviously Providence just checked to see how much she has. A number of years ago, I was at a, a global leadership summit, which is a, a leadership conference. I was at a satellite location in Edmonton. It was the last session of the day. And I don't recall what the session was about, but I do recall and remember what happened at the very end with the last presenter. And at the end of the session, the speaker asked us to stand, to reach into our pockets and grab all the change that we had, and then dump it on the floor. 
And then afterwards, he indicated that it was going to be collected at all the different sites and it was going to be donated to a charity. The point he was making was that even though we had given away all the change that was in our pockets, we would still be able to drive home, go to a house, have a meal, have a bed to sleep in. All these things would still happen, even though we had just gotten rid of all the change in our pockets, which is not the same in all parts of the world. So when speaking about being generous or generosity, one of the things we think about is the stuff that we have to be generous with. Now, I have sometimes thought in my life that I was in the place where I could be generous. So I had the thought, I need to be generous when I can be generous. Now, who thinks that way? (laughs) You know, is it possible to move in and out of a position of generosity that's determined by something that is outside of me? It was one of those moments when I considered that probably thought that I had a little bit of extra that I could, you know, be generous with. But then also I knew I could probably get it back again or I'd get resourced again, be replenished. So was that being generous? I think I have typically made a connection between uh, what I have at my disposal and my ability to be generous. So did you notice what I did with the statement? and how I think about generosity. I drew a connecting line between what I have and what I'm able to be generous with. And you may think that makes sense because I can't be generous with what I don't have. So that's that's true. But do you think you have what it needs to be generous? And when you think about it, on what basis can you be generous? So where do we find generosity? And so I was just thinking about where do we find generosity uh, in the scripture, and you'll, you'll think of some uh, examples in, in the Bible. Um, this list that I came up with is certainly not exhaustive, but the Matthew 14 passage where Jesus feeds the 5,000 doesn't start with a whole bunch and feeds everyone, and there's a whole bunch left over. One of the other places I thought about uh, generosity is when one of the uh, disciples asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven? No, 70 times seven. That's a lot. That's being very generous with your forgiveness. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 16, the people are complaining to Moses about what they don't have, and Jesus well, the God provides, get my terminology right here, God provides uh, manna and quail for them in the wilderness. John chapter 2, Jesus is at a wedding and turns water into wine. Not just any wine, but better wine than was expected. Thought two of the widow's might was thinking about Does being generous mean sacrifice and the widow's might that she gives? And then when Jesus is calling his disciples and they've been fishing all night and they haven't caught anything and Jesus says, well, go on the other side of the boat. And, you know, their boat they're in is not that big. It's not like, 
well, let me walk to the other side where the fish are. Um, so they throw in the nets, and there are so many fish that it almost sinks the boat. So if generosity is an attribute of God, is it an attribute of me? So, as I was thinking about this, I'm thinking, well, God has all the resources. If he doesn't have something, he could just speak it into existence. So I can't do that. So can I be generous in the same way that God is generous? But if I think about the content of generosity, I, I'm not comparing my level of generosity to God's generosity. I'm comparing my level of coming up with content to God's level of coming up with content. So the direction is that, that I want us to take is that generosity doesn't have as much to do with what the content of the generosity is as it is with the motivation that results in the generosity. And the direction that I want to look at um, to look at generosity is what is behind the action of being generous. Now, we're going to take a little diversion. I've been involved in music, specifically music in the church, for over 40 years. I've seen a lot of music come and go. Music that's popular and is used a lot, and then almost imperceptibly it moves off the scene. And in past days, that used to be a rather slow procedure. Because churches sang songs out of books, and because of the cost to replace those books, the repertoire of the church remained more or less constant. And there was no way to project lyrics. When I first started working in music and church ministry, there were no overhead projectors, there were no video projectors, uh, none of that. So, but our diversion is not about the changing technology that we have in worship ministry. Our diversion is music-based. So, while in former days, the disappearance of songs from the repertoire took considerable time, in more recent days, people have noted and people have studied the rapidity, the rapid succession uh, of change that experienced in the music that we sing in our churches. And so the pace at which we experience new music has increased with the increased ease of access with which music comes to us. And since we can only manage so many songs uh, in our church repertoire, coupled with our culture's push to that which is new, there's rather a shortened shelf life of the music that we use. So, in my time at Prairie, I'm in my seventh year, uh, there are songs that were popular in our community that if we did them today, you might think, well, that's maybe best case scenario. That's nostalgic. I really love that old song from 2012. Um, and at worst, uh, you know, we might see them as irrelevant. Now, part of this diversion that I want to address is to correct a misconception that has been said about me. <laughs> You're probably thinking there's more than one. Um, several students over the last couple of years, and so this is a, a, this is a song that uh, is kind of out of our purview now, but still relevant to today. Students have asked me over the last couple of years if worship leaders, as worship leaders, they were told somewhere along the way that I said, don't sing the song. What song is it? Jack of the 
Reckless love, yes. And so they asked me, are we allowed to sing that or not sing it? I never said, you're not allowed to sing it. I had more to say after I said that. Now, we're going to take a look at it because I think it has to deal with generosity. So, it's part of the chorus. Over the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, what chases me down, fights till I found, leaves the 99 and I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Okay, so that's, that's the song. Now, when I first started at Prairie six years ago, I used to teach the course, Introduction to Christian Theology. And in the course, as you still do, talk about God, and there's various ways that we can talk about God. And one of the ways that we talk about God is analogically. And one writer has noted that when we speak about God analogically, it's by using a word that has a similar meaning or is analogous uh, in its meaning. So it's using terms in comparison uh, as a way to describe God. Now, it's not a perfect one-for-one comparison, but it's a close association, and it helps us describe God. So, for instance, we would say that God is immortal and infinite. Now, this is a comparison that's being made with us, humankind, which is analogous, but it's in the negative. We say that God is immortal. He is not mortal. We say that God is infinite. He is not finite. So we are saying that God is not mortal, like we are, and he's not infinite. He's not finite, like we are. So one writer noted that if we say someone is like an ox... We're not thinking that person has four legs, a horn, and a tail. We're probably referring to the person's strength. That individual is strong, like an ox. The amount of strength is being compared between the ox and the person. So when we read a verse like we have in Psalm 91.4, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. So... Do we now deduce from this that God is a feathered being that has wings? No, we do not. We say that it is speaking to God's caring, his comforting, and his protecting actions that he has towards his people. So that's how analogical terms with God work. And this is what I think the composers of Reckless Love are doing. The question is whether or not reckless is used among humankind, is analogous as to how God is. So, part of the challenge, I think, is that the word reckless is one that we don't generally use as positive. So, if we were to describe someone's way of driving a vehicle as reckless, you might say, I shall find another way of transportation. (laughs) I will not drive with you. So I'm not saying that reckless is only refers to something in a negative way, but the preponderance of use, I think, is toward the negative, not the positive. Now, I think we could substitute the word generous instead of reckless. And you can squish the syllables of generous together so that it's going to fit within the word in the amount of syllables that's available. I think it will be less than satisfactory because reckless has a hard consonant in it and it's kind of 
fun to say. Generous, not so much. So, one place we get our songs from, worship leaders know this, we get them from Song Select. Do you know there's over 100,000 songs on Song Select? So, my suggestion to students about the song Reckless Love is, is it possible to find another song that says a similar thing, that we don't have to have an explanation on why we're using the word reckless when we refer to what God is doing? Maybe from our perspective, it seems that God is being reckless because we would never love like that. And so, it's the second word of that song that's going to help us get to where we're going to go is the word love. So, time to make a decision. What is the source of our generosity? So I have a few questions to make uh, when thinking about generosity. Have I linked generosity and available resources together? And if I have no resources, then I don't need to be generous. In fact, maybe I should be, should be thinking that I need to be on the receiving end of someone else's generosity toward me. Am I a generous person in friendship, in companionship? Am I a generous person among the body of Christ? Am I a generous person with people who are outside the, pay, outside the faith? Is it possible for you to be generous? Who should you be generous to? Who deserves your generosity? Another way to ask that question is, who does not deserve your generosity? I think that's how we think about it sometimes. We'll be generous to someone who's in need, someone who's down on their luck, but we're not generous with people that we disagree with or who are doing wrong or who are different from us in a way that upsets us or aggravates us. But when we see the generosity of God, is it because the recipient deserved God's generosity? A couple of weeks ago, I was in Dr. Emma Emgard's office having a coffee and chatting about the prison ministry, and I noticed a book that she had on her shelf, Discovering Jonah. I thought, oh, it's about my family. an old, old joke. Okay, so the book of Jonah. You remember the story of Jonah? Jonah was told by God to preach to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the enemy of Israel. Jonah ran in the other direction. He took passage on a boat, countered a dangerous storm, and Jonah asked the men of the boat to throw him overboard, and a great fish swallowed Jonah. I'm going fast. Jonah prays to God, and the fish throws Jonah up on dry land. Jonah preaches to Nineveh, and Nineveh repents. And even though there is repentance, Jonah leaves the city and goes up on a high hill to wait and to see God's destruction of Nineveh. A plant grows to give shade to Jonah, and then a worm is sent by God to destroy the plant, and Jonah has no shade or relief from the sun and hot, dry wind. Jonah complains. He's more concerned about the plant than he is about the people of Nineveh. So this is a book by Timothy Keller. And in the section where he's writing about the last chapter of Jonah, and he's writing about how God views the people of Nineveh, and there's a lesson here on how we should think about generosity. Even though that's not his point, I 
I'm going to make that his point. At the very end of the book, Jonah, God asks Jonah a question that remains unanswered in the book. This is just how the book ends. Chapter 4. God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, I am so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though it did not, you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and, all, and also many animals? Now, in the description of people who don't know their left hand from their right hand, I've heard explanations that this refers to the number of children in Nineveh who don't know the difference between their two hands yet. And so from that idea, you can kind of extrapolate how many adults there might be in the city. Keller gives a different explanation. He writes, It's a figure of speech that means they are spiritually blind and have lost their way, and they haven't the first clue as to the source of source of their problems, or what they should do about them. And then he explains further. There are many people who have no idea what they should be living for, or the meaning of their lives. Nor have they any guide to tell them right from wrong. God looks down at that kind of people who are in a spiritual fog, that spiritual stupidity, and he doesn't say, you idiots, when we look at people who have brought trouble into their own lives by their own foolishness, we say things like, serves them right, or mock them on social media. What kind of imbecile says that? When we see people of the other political party defeated, we just gloat. This is a way of distancing ourselves from them. We distance ourselves from them partly out of pride and partly because we don't want their unhappiness to, to be ours. God doesn't do that. Real compassion, the voluntary attachment of our hearts to others, means the sadness of their condition makes us sad. It affects us. That is what is deeply uncomfortable, but it is the character of compassion. And Keller goes on to describe God's position towards Nineveh as a generosity of spirit. And here's the point that I want to make about generosity and to be a way for each of us to consider our own level of generosity. I believe that generosity shows up when compassion and love are present. The idea I've been thinking about is that generosity never appears alone. Being generous is sourced from compassion and love. And because God is love, and because God is compassionate, God is generous. So we have these scriptures that remind us of this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition 
or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence and now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Compassion and love are the precursors to generosity. And if you are not generous, then, or if we are not generous, then I think there is something wrong with our beaker of compassion. If we are not generous, maybe there is something wrong with our beaker of love. So, can you be generous? Will you be generous? Be generous as God is generous. Since God has been generous, since God is generous, since God will be generous, with his people, his people in turn need to be generous to everyone we bump into. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an outrageously generous God. Scripture contrasts the beauty of your love with the ugliness of our own stubbornness. And so today we praise you for your relentless commitment to bless most unworthy, unbelieving, ungrateful people like us. And in Advent, we think about the arrival of irrepressible grace, the grace that comes from you. We confess that on the inside, sometimes we trust more in our own self-sufficiency. So that's why the promise of Emmanuel is so precious to us. Because you're, you've proven that you are a God who is not only in us in Jesus, but you are a God who is very much for us in Jesus. You have mercy without measure, grace without limit, Love beyond imagining, peace that surpasses understanding. Help us to be generous as you are generous with each of us. 
come to our understanding as we encounter people, some who are like us and some who are not. Build within us compassion and love so our lives can be lived generously in each place we go with everyone we meet, looking outside of ourselves to the world around us in the places where you take us. We praise you. We praise you because you have come to us. Your kindness, your compassion, your generosity to us. Help us to be that way to those that we meet. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Enjoy your chilly day.